0: Bible with you or a Bible app, I encourage you to open them to Malachi chapter 2. The Rawlings family, Matt is our lead pastor and they are on a brief vacation this week. They'll be coming back early this this coming week, uh, except for Noah, wherever he is. He's kind of learning some of the hardships of adulting um, as he's in school and had to stay behind um, thanks so much. I just wanted to, uh, on a personal note, thank all of you for your prayers and practical care for our family. This last month since Colleen's back surgery, um, we're so grateful for the many meals that have been provided, the laundry that's been washed, the rides that have been given, the bathrooms clean, the errands run. Um, we have uh, been the recipients of your love and care, and especially the first couple weeks, right after the surgery, was so much more challenging than we could have imagined or anticipated. But our testimony is that we have experienced the Savior's love and care through you, His body. So thank you so much for your prayers and. Um, for putting him on display so clearly. We are so grateful for your kindness to us. Um, Colleen, hopefully in the next week or two, will be able to join us in person herself and and be able to thank you personally as well. Now for uh, a bit of a left turn. You received a plastic bag when you came in this morning one of these different colors. You don't have to get it out right now. I mean, you're welcome to do with whatever you want. It's yours now. Um, if you don't know what it is exactly, uh, it's used to pick up after your pets so that your neighbors aren't tempted to take drastic actions when they find doggy landmines in their yard. Uh, that's what the, the bag is used for. Um, because afterwards we're all going to head outside and clean up. Now I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nothing to do with that. Uh, a few weeks ago, Matt preached on Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and he handed out some bars of soap, so that inspired me. As we came to Malachi chapter 2 to, to give you bags for picking up poop. Perhaps that might help a younger segment of our congregation this morning to pay attention a little more closely as we get going, wondering what's going on. And if you are a guest with us this morning, uh, I really mean this. Thanks for coming all the way in after you were handed one of these bags in the lobby this morning. Come back next week where we'll be back in John's Gospel as Matt will continue his series through the Gospel of John. Today in Malachi chapter 2 we are essentially arriving at part 2 of God's dispute with Israel's priests. As we've talked about the different times that we've been in Malachi, God is bringing different charges, different challenges to the people of Israel disputes that he has with them as he tries to get their attention and have them refocus their lives on him. And this is part two of him addressing the priest. Part one was what we looked at last time. Focusing on their failures in temple worship. Allowing people to bring unworthy sacrifices. People were bringing blind and diseased animals, even animals that were destroyed by wild animals. And they were bringing these as their sacrifices. And God was rightly insulted. Instead of truly worshiping Him and showing Him the honor that He was worthy of, the people were half-heartedly going through the motions But functionally, they were treating their worship as little more than a refuse service. They were using the temple as a convenient way of disposing of that which had no or little value to them. Now, here in part two, the Lord is calling the priests to account for failing to go beyond outward actions and lip service As stewards of His Word. See, the priests were to be God's mouthpieces. That was one of the roles that they had been given. But Malachi says that their instruction was doing more harm than good. They are supposed to be guiding people into God's truth. And be a means of blessing the people through their teaching. But they are not honoring God's name or His way, and so God is ready to pronounce a curse upon them, which in fact God said was already beginning. And He warns them that if they don't quickly change their ways, that He would perform a refuse service of His own by displaying their uncleanness for all to see and removing them from His presence. So let's look now and read with me Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. He who commands the armies of heaven. Then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and He turned many from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from His mouth. For He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Well, since we have some six to ten year olds with us this morning that pre-COVID would have been in grace kids, Bear with me for a moment as I make sure that they are tracking with us this morning. I want to make sure that you guys, each of you, understand what is going on here too. Because it may affect how you color those pictures you picked up when you came in this morning. Did you read along with us and notice the word dung in verse 3? Dung is another word for poop. Parents can thank me later for expanding vocabulary of our children. Kids, do I have your attention? We're talking about poop in church. It's weird. But we're doing it because it's what the Bible is talking about in the passage that we're reading through. And just because it seems a little unpleasant to us, that's not a reason for us to skip over those parts. Now that's not all we're going to talk about this morning. But it is in here. And in case you missed it a minute ago, in case you weren't paying attention to what was being said about this dung, this poop... God said that He was going to smear it. Smear poop on the priests' faces. You see, back in the Old Testament, Israel was to bring sacrifices. They were to have reminders that sin had a penalty. It needed to be paid for. And God set up a sacrificial system. He set up things that they could do to remind them that their sin was serious. It needed to be dealt with. The penalty for sin was death. But God made a way for them to have these reminders through animals that they don't want to pay that penalty themselves. Because it would mean their own death. But that's what they deserved. Now, Jesus eventually is going to come and be the sacrifice for all of us to take away our sin. But what they did here was a pointer to that fact that we don't want to pay the penalty for our own sin. But our sin is serious, so serious that it demands death. Well, as the people would bring these animals to be sacrificed, animals like bulls and lambs and goats... Well, these animals would poop. And God commanded, because that was unclean, it was dirty, it was something that He didn't want part of their cleansing ceremony to make everything else dirty. He commanded that, that the poop from these animals, along with the dirty parts, their guts, would be taken away from the place where they were making sacrifices outside the camp and it would be burned out there because it was unclean and it should be taken away so it wouldn't corrupt everything else. Well, that's the stuff, the dirty stuff that God was saying He was going to smear on the priests' faces that unacceptable stuff because they were not honoring Him. And if you hear that and think, gross, that's the right response. That is exactly what Malachi wants us to think. He isn't being polite right here. Because he wants to get everyone's attention. So Malachi is willing to sound, well, a bit rude in the way that he is talking in order to get people to listen to his really important message. Because the most important thing he has to say isn't about poop at all, but it's about how the people are treating God. How they're relating to Him. And just to give away the ending, it isn't good. They're not relating the way that they should be with God. Before we get into what it was that got Malachi talking this way though, I want us to ask why we should pay attention. Because we don't make sacrifices today. Is this just an Old Testament issue that doesn't have any relevance for us in our day? The New Testament does not recognize a priestly class within the church They are not people set aside by birthright to carry out certain duties before God or act as mediators between God and man. The specific duty the priests are most known for, making sacrifices, that stopped being performed when the temple was destroyed in AD 70, almost 2,000 years ago. Just to be really clear, Matt and I are not the modern equivalent of this role. Now, that's a little different from what Catholics believe who identify leaders as priests partly because of the role they view them having in presenting the sacrifice of Christ spiritually in the Eucharist or in the Lord's Supper. But we don't have that same view or understanding as we don't see this as something that comes through us. But something that Jesus made available to all of us directly. The temple curtain has been torn. There is no barrier anymore between God and us where we need to go through another mediator. Christ is the mediator for us. But the New Testament does speak a bit about a New Covenant role of a priest In the book of Hebrews, where Jesus is repeatedly identified as a true and better priest. Our great high priest, who offered Himself once and for all as the sacrifice for sin. there is another place that the New Testament talks about priests and not talking about Jesus and that particular role that He had in offering Himself. The other place that the New Testament highlights the role of priests is in the book of Revelation. But there, the focus isn't on Jesus as priests, but, but on those that He purchased by His sacrifice. So we read in Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6, To Him who loved us, and has freed us from our sins by His blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So who is John declaring here the priests are? Us. To Him who loves us and has freed us, made us a kingdom. Freed us from our sins. He identifies us as priests of God. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Who? The redeemed from every tribe and tongue and nation. In the New Testament, Jesus is the true and better priest who ransomed and redeemed us To be priests acceptable before God. Last week Matt mentioned that saint is not a special designation for a few super believers. But instead, it is the inheritance of every individual covered by Christ's blood. This week, we're also adding priest to your resume. Because that is the designation conferred upon you by heaven. That's two promotions in two weeks if you were unaware of these things before. And let's just allow this aspect of our current identity to sink in for a moment. I mean, they said, they said you wouldn't amount to anything. And yet here you are, a saint and a priest of God. You have been bought with the precious blood of the Lamb, called into His kingdom to be a priest of the Most High God, so that you might reign with Him forever. And that truth, that should raise us from any view of the mundane or a meaningless existence. We are seated with him in the heavenlies. Paul declares in Ephesians 2 that that's a current place for us. Not just our future reality, but it's where God views us right now. There are no special class of believers. We all have direct access to the Almighty because of Jesus. What wonderful news! We don't need another to approach the throne. We can pray to him directly. We don't need to appeal to others that we deem as saints, or to Mary, or to any other individual living or dead. We go to Him directly because Christ has made the way available to us. We can approach the throne with boldness because this has been purchased for us. We have been ransomed by God and redeemed. But it also means that if the priests of Malachi's day we're not exempt from warnings and judgments, that we should probably pay attention and at least examine whether this has any relevance for us as well. So what was the crime that was being spoken against here? What were the priests doing that was so serious that Malachi would talk like this? Well, let's look. Priests must listen. They must honor. We read in verse 1, And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, to give honor to My name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. He's saying, listen up. Your role requires that you give honor to God. It's the very thing that you're called to do. To give Him what He is due. It's why you've been set apart. So pay attention. Listen. Otherwise, he will curse them and bring about their shame. He will, he says, curse their blessings. What does that mean? Does it mean that, that they will say one thing and he will put a magic spell on it to twist it and turn it into something different? No, not exactly. But I think we have a, a really good idea of what it does mean if we look at places like Deuteronomy 28 where Moses was about to die and the Israelites are preparing to enter the promised land. So Moses sums up the blessings and the curses of God's covenant with them. All the things that he's been recording for them over these last 40 years. And he's about to depart for them and he's about to send them off into the promised land and he says this is what needs to keep you. So pay attention. Listen up. And he sums up part of what God has promised to do. And the reality that if they will be faithful to the Lord, every blessing is promised to them. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 says, If if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. And if you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city. And blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle. The increase of your herds and the young of your flock Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall, be, blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise against you and to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and shall flee from you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all you undertake. He will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This seems like a really comprehensive blessing. It actually continues to go, but for the sake of time, we're going to skip down to verse 15 where we start to see what the promised curses are. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, Then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. And cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall you be in the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in. And cursed shall you be when you go out. Verse 25 the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go one way against them and flee seven ways before them. You shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. The whole whole chapter is like this. What, what do we notice? The things that are highlighted as blessings when they are obedient become their curses when they are unfaithful they are supposed to be enjoying the favor and benefits of relating with Yahweh but failing to honor Him has resulted in reciprocal curses instead because God is faithful to all of His promises don't don't miss this. God was still being faithful to His covenant. It's just that their, faith, their unfaithfulness demands that He exchange the promised blessings for the promised curses. And their self-righteousness, they're thinking that God wasn't keeping His promises. But that's exactly what He's doing, just not the portion that they wanted Him be faithful to. Listen to what he says, verse 3. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offering, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi I may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with Him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to Him. It was a covenant of fear, and He feared me. He stood in awe of my name. That He received the blessings that were promised to Him. But understand that you are receiving the curses that I have promised for unfaithfulness. I'm doing this to be faithful to my covenant. He's doing this, He says, so that His covenant may stand. What is He doing? He's pruning. He is faithful to His covenant people beyond any particular unfaithful branch. He is giving stern warnings because He is still committed to the tree. He's still committed to His people at large So He's willing to bring about this judgment to a particular group. But hope is not lost even for these priests. There is still opportunity for them to repent and return to His blessings. This is a warning. It's not pleasant And they're told if they don't take it to heart, they will be taken away just like the dung of their offerings. But, his heart in bringing this to them, with these hard words, is still the same as it was when he began his appeal in chapter 1, declaring, I have loved you, says the Lord of hosts. It's because He loves them. Because He is committed to His people that He is bringing this harshness upon them that they might return to Him. Walter Kaiser said it this way, Our God loves us so faithfully that when we refuse to be taught by precept. By teaching, He will continue by that same love to pursue us by penalty until we are driven back to His loving embrace once again. The revolting idea of smearing them in excrement, of covering their faces with feces, isn't some cruel and unusual punishment It's like the prodigal finding himself in the filth and uncleanness of the pigsty. God was designing this to wake them up, to bring them to their senses. Like the prodigal, they too might return to the Father. His heart is for restoration. So much so that he's willing to get his hands dirty in order to bring it about. Because the priests, they're not the point. The priests are to be pointers on the grounds of his commitment to the covenant, he calls the priests, those that were the rightful guardians of God's glory among the people, to the original standard that they had been committed to. He gives them the example of Levi, and then he says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. He said, there's a a way you should be functioning among the people here. Your words should have meaning. They should have weight. Because who I am and what is important to me should be the content that you are delivering. That should be sought after. But you have turned aside from the way. He says in verse 8. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways. Your instruction is full of partiality. Just as they had made a mockery of their responsibility to oversee proper worship, they were committing similar atrocities with their teaching and their lives. They were supposed to bring honor to God's name with what came out of their mouths. They should be sought for counsel, for instruction, because they were the ones entrusted with God's word, with God's law this was a time most of them did not read and so you needed people to carry this message. To pass it on to those around them. They were the or, they were ordained as God's messengers. His mouthpieces. But instead, they were causing others to stumble. they had corrupted the covenant. They failed to rightly follow His way or point others to Him. They were forgetting that That they were not the point. This wasn't all for them. Their benefit. They were called to follow His lead. Perhaps like many of you, if you're in the midst of reading through the Bible in a year, right about now you're you're reading about Israel in the wilderness and your daily plan. As I've been going through, I've been reminded lately of how incredibly tragic it was that the generation that was delivered out of Egypt never themselves entered into the promised land. Because they refused to take possession of it when God told them He was giving it to them. He said, go up. And take this land. And they said, no, those people are scary. They're too big. There's too many of them. This is the same group that that saw firsthand the plagues upon Egypt and God's deliverance by His mighty hand from the most powerful nation on earth at the time. Humbled before Yahweh. These are the same people that walked on dry ground through the Red Sea. Yet, they were not immune to going their own way. They were not immune to thinking they knew better than God. These priests who were entrusted with keeping Israel on track after return from their own exile because of the faithlessness of the nation, because of their idolatry, these same priests, they also were not immune. Friends, we must give attention to the warnings of Scripture. Scripture and not suppose that we are immune from waywardness, from thinking we know better than the Almighty. God remains faithful. But following Him is not a choose-your-own-adventure book. We follow His way. We proclaim His message. He calls the shots. We are the followers. The priests, whether from disillusionment, boredom, self-interest, whatever it was, they they failed to remember that the Lord of hosts is worthy of honor and glory and reverence and worship. That all should bow before Him and proclaim His excellencies because He is worthy of. Now Malachi is presenting this truth in a very different package. But the fuel for his message is the same God that Isaiah saw. Whose train of His robe filled the temple surrounded by seraphim crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And that John would later see when exiled on the Isle of Patmos, seated on His throne with four living creatures day and night, never ceasing to say, Holy! 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Joined by the 24 elders falling down before Him, seated on the throne, casting their crowns before Him, declaring, Worthy are You! our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. But even without a window into heaven, no one is allowed off the hook. Paul declared in Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, Namely, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. And Psalm 19 testifies, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So God can say through Malachi, You aren't listening. You're not taking my glory to heart. You have no excuse. You have My Word. You've been entrusted with it. I have spoken through poets and prophets. The whole earth is filled with additional testimonies about Me. This is the God for whom trees clap their hands and rocks will not keep silent. He reveals Himself through word and wonder and all creation is declaring His worth. And friends, For us on this side of Calvary, we know exponentially greater glories. How much more do we have to declare of His worth? Things the angels long to look into. The Creator who came as a creature to die for rebels so that we could become sons and heirs of the Most High. The Lamb of God crucified for us. Now raised and reigning at the right hand of the Father. That's the big picture here. Our God is worthy. He's worthy of adoration and praise and sacrifice. He's worth giving our hearts and lives to. We are His people, beneficiaries of His otherworldly love and forgiveness and called to be His priests and ambassadors. Are our lips not created to declare His praises? Is He not worth the loosening of our tongues and the opening of our mouths? Just to be clear, He doesn't need us. He could send an angel, a donkey, the very rocks to cry out, but He chooses. It's His pleasure to employ us for this glorious work. Friends, he's searching for worshipers. He's pursuing followers. He's delighting in disciples. His priests are to point to him by living in awe of him, treasuring relationship with him, and giving him priority in all of life. Malachi gives the example of Levi as someone who feared God and stood in awe of his name, gave true instruction, walked and spoke in uprightness and turned many away from sin because of his fear of God. Which, which is kind of curious. Because we don't actually have any account of Jacob's son with these characteristics. In fact, we, we don't even have a clear account of this covenant with Levi in Israel's history either. We can piece together a few accounts of the tribe of Levi that are consistent with this testimony. And that's exactly what I think Malachi is doing here. He's highlighting the best of Levite history as he's calling these current Levites to account. These may be accounts that you've recently read or are about to if you're reading through Exodus or Numbers, where we see the zeal of the Levites or a particular Levite like Phineas. And then God crediting them with halting His wrath against Israel. When they performed some act, came against sin and rebellion that were breaking out among the people. They took action. And because of their faithfulness to God, to his covenant with His people. The tribe of Levi was given the right and privilege of the priesthood. But in Malachi, the whole nation had fizzled in their religious zeal. What makes God's charges against the Levites so damning isn't the fact that they had some special relationship and covenant with God apart from the rest of the nation of Israel it was that historically, they were the leaders in keeping Israel's covenant. Of being the guardians. Of staying true to their God. Their actions in honoring the covenant with Yahweh was their heritage. And it resulted in them being blessed with the rights of priesthood and assisting in temple duties. But in Malachi, the priests are no longer leaders in righteousness. They've accepted worthless sacrifices. They have not been zealous for God's Word or His law. They've made serious compromises. They had broken covenant with God. And they were in danger of seeing all of their blessings become curses. And I think this should give us pause. We are not immune to compromise or waywardness. Is our zeal what it once was? Are the things that God would call us to account to? Well, that brings us to the reality that even priests need a savior this passage even with the priests the guardians of the covenant under a curse it points like a giant arrow to the need of a savior if these who were entrusted to be the leaders in righteousness can't keep it together what hope is there well, the hope is not in men There needs to be another. Now, this particular passage doesn't promise another. But fortunately for us, we know that this isn't the end of the story. I mentioned a couple minutes ago that God showed he was willing to get his hands dirty in order to bring the unfaithful to their senses so they might be restored. God did a lot more than get His hands dirty. He allowed them to be pierced for our transgressions. He came as the ultimate priest who offered not unworthy sacrifices, but Himself as the full and satisfactory atonement for sin. Once and for all. The priests in Malachi's day could be urged to repent. And priests in our day still have hope because Jesus is the true and better priest. Whether you have known your identity as priest for years or are here today, frankly unsure of where you stand with God, We all need to take the seriousness of these warnings to heart. They remind us that a godly heritage, or seeing God work in wondrous ways in the past, those can be great gifts, but they don't guarantee us anything. Growing up in church or being here every Sunday, those things are not the answer. Having all the right answers? That's not the answer. Each one of us must bow our knee, must surrender all to Him. We must each confess that Christ alone is our hope and righteousness. If the priests in Malachi stop going their own way and return to the Lord, of the covenant, the promise is that they would enjoy the many blessings of relating with Him again. You should have gotten two things when you came through the lobby this morning. Communion cup. And a doggy waste bag. There's a really big difference in the message that each of these sends that I want us to be really clear on this morning. The dog poo bag says, you're responsible for cleaning up your own mess or that of your animal. But in the Lord's Supper, we hear, come and be cleansed. that's good news for us. For us, who are given the call and privilege of being modern day guardians of God's glory, we are supposed to be the ones proclaiming to the world who He is, even as Christ's representatives, on our own, we fall short of the standard every day. Our thoughts, words, and actions fail to live up to the call of, the living, of the loving the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And to love our neighbors as ourselves, as disciples and as disciple makers, we will often be more aware of our shortcomings than our triumphs. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have a Savior. He gave Himself so rebels could be priests and saints, not through their own righteousness, but His alone, that we might all relate directly with Him and reign with Him forever. So whether it's for the first time today or the thousandth, let's celebrate that glorious truth together. And what we deserved was to be thrown out with the excrement. When that's what we deserved, Christ died for us. His body broken for those that have broken His covenant. May we marvel as we eat. The role of priest was to offer sacrifices, to pour out blood for the forgiveness of sin. Our great high priest offered himself so that we so that we could become priests who benefit from his sacrifice forever. In thanks, let's drink together. Father, thank You that You sent Your Son for the dirty and unclean to give us Your very righteousness. How amazing is this reality. May we marvel at Your goodness, at Your kindness to us. You are worthy of our adoration of our praise, of our lives. Help us to give to You what You are due. Amen.